0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
1: Welcome to episode 272 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is words of women in their languages about overcoming barriers. The words of women in their languages now have a worldwide service so that the women voicing their words can get themselves heard across the world. The service is internet radio, which is how you are now listening to me and my guest, whom I'll introduce in a moment. I call my show Family Caregivers Unite because family caregiving is still the subject of some prejudice on the part of some governments, some healthcare professionals and some healthcare systems. Now, it's true that internet radio must enable women's voices on more themes than family caregiving, but it's also true that family caregiving by women involves much more than domestic caring at home for family members with illnesses. Women family caregivers confront challenges to the well-being and quality of life of families of elderly women and of the women family caregivers themselves. Women family caregivers are confronted by barriers. Overcoming the barriers involves reforming healthcare systems, reforming social systems, creating employment opportunities, dealing with economics, and also tackling aspects of cultures, among other things. Overcoming the barriers therefore involves politics and in some places, nation-building, which is why women's voices must be heard, must be understood, and must be responded to politically everywhere, which is why our topic today, Words of Women in Their Languages About Overcoming Barriers, is so important. To discuss it, my guest is Nancy Coldham. Now, Nancy is the founding partner of a leading Canadian public affairs consulting firm, the CG Group. It's www.cggroup.com, where CG Group is all one word. Her 25 years in journalism, public relations, and public affairs consulting include senior positions in federal, provincial, and commonwealth governments. At Royal Roads University, she's a master's degree graduate and through this she's added intercultural communication and development communication to her expertise. She's nominated for a YWCA Woman of Distinction Award for 2013-14. She was accepted into the worldwide Who's Who as the VIP for Canada in the entrepreneur category in 2012. She was honored in 2010 with an Excellence Award by the Walk With Me Foundation for bringing public and police attention to the issue of human trafficking. In 2010, she was recognized for her mentorship in Atlantic Canada Canada, through the Step Up Women Entrepreneurs Mentorship Programme. A Social and Charitable Pursuits Focus on the Advancement of Women in Business and in Politics, and she's the mother of two terrific daughters, Jordan and Jacqueline. So welcome to the show, Nancy.
2: Well, thank you very much, Gordon, and thank you for my epitaph.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Now, Nancy, first, first of all, tell us a little bit more about your career and, and also your experience with family caregiving.
2: For sure, for sure. Well, you know, Gordon, I think my career's had the usual twists and turns as most people's. And um, I have to say, it's been my experience that a career isn't a linear thing. It's rather an intricate journey. And as I tell my wonderful daughters, there's no correct question, answer to the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because it's sort of a, an art of, of negotiation, isn't it? Um, okay, to answer the question, I, I have to confess I really fell in awe of the art and science of human, human communication when I was a, a kid studying journalism at Carleton University in Canada's nat- national capital, way back in the 70s. And in fact, I think I was so privileged at that time because Marshall McLuhan actually came and spoke to our class. Um, when I graduated, although I had, while studying, been just... In love with radio, I ended up in print, um, both with Canadian Press Wire Service for my uh, on, my co-op, and later as a speechwriter for a cabinet minister. So journalism became a vehicle for my passion, as a storyteller and a story collector, and it led me to Australia, where I worked in public relations for their International Year of Disabled Persons campaign, where I also got the chance to conduct media training for Aboriginal leaders. And work with the Ministry of Science and the Environment in their early campaigns about educating people on the importance of, of protecting our environment. So um, it's been a career that's been uh, full of good luck to be able to interact with people of diverse cultures and diverse backgrounds and um, when I got back to Canada I became an entrepreneur which again from the social context wasn't an accident by that time late uh, early eighties women in North America in particular were entering entrepreneurship after having bumped into the proverbial glass ceiling in 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 normal business so and then as as far as caregiving um i'm one of of a large family i'm the uh, was the eldest responsible for my younger siblings starting as early as eleven uh, because I had a career mom, so I have to say both in career and maybe I learned it as a early caregiver myself but uh, it was multitasking and resourcefulness that ruled the day.
1: Right now I want to take you from your own work in entrepreneuring your own entrepreneuring to the question of your research which is called Rwandan Women Entrepreneurs the Gendered Enterprise of Nation Building. Please tell us more about that.
2: Thanks, Gordon. In fact, first thing I want to do is thank you for actually having read it (laughs) and and yourself um, becoming enthralled with the story of these remarkable women and this incredible place called Rwanda. I can tell you when I first chose Rwanda as the topic of my thesis, people were were shocked. They they didn't think I'd actually be safe in going over there, And, and in fact, they couldn't be further from the truth, and I'll explain why. yes. You say Rwanda, and for most people, it's recognized for the 1994 genocide and a period of, I'd say, roughly 100 days that resulted in the slaughter of almost a million people, mostly the male population. So overnight, the economy collapsed. And now, Gordon, almost two decades later, you see Rwanda's the third most robust economy in Africa, and everybody, I think, should be asking why. And the answer I discovered was, it's women. Rwanda has, um, unlike many countries in Africa, um, tapped into this incredible resource of of women, and particularly in a post-genocide economy, they have created, just become an undeniable force of nation-building, building building what most African nations do not have, and that is a vibrant um, private sector. So um, I was lucky. I studied 30 women entrepreneur graduates of an American-based training program almost over a two-year period and uh, gained invaluable insights into that culture and and these remarkable women.
1: Now let me ask you this. Please tell us about the conclusions you drew and draw from this research with these Rwandan women entrepreneurs?
2: Mm-hmm. Nancy? That's, that's a good, good question. Um, well, you know, for, for most of the research that's being done in entrepreneurship, it's from OECD countries, and there's been a lot of work in Canada, United States, Europe, Australia, um, and only recently have, have researchers gone into post-conflict economies. Uh, where I think, again, Rwanda is unique because of the post-genocide situations. Beyond conflict, it was mass murder. Um, and so it's a unique opportunity to look and, and see how a group of women, particularly women in a, in a culture originally where women were almost voiceless and invisible, which is true for many many emerging countries, and overnight... People had to come to them and say, we need you. Uh, you know, whatever that man did, <laughs> uh, do you have his tools around? Do you know what he did? Do you think you could do it? Is there something else you could do? And um, and like most countries in Africa, um, a lot of the women were already very involved in the craft. And so they they, they were sort of micro-entrepreneurs without any training or competency in, in the effort. So, in terms of conclusions, I found that there can be no doubt that the Rwandan women entrepreneurs were really engaged in, in what has become a gendered enterprise of nation building. There, the research validated the role the women are, are playing in this creation of a private sector. And also, the women have gained an unparalleled um, position of leadership and voice around the world. If you look at how um, uh, 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 the world looks at how many women are in parliament or in senior positions around, uh, has led the way for many, many years. And here's the thing that I think is relevant to what you want to talk to me about today, and that is the way they have gone about creating jobs and prosperity for their families. Um, And in that that. I, I was noticing that the entrepreneurship pr- training that's being given is mostly Western based and Western focused. And I, the research showed that to be more effective, it has to be more interculturally sensitive and competent because you can't prescribe a solution. The women have to make sure that their culture and their needs are involved in helping them custom make it for their own realities.
1: Now, at that point, we're going to take the break um because talking of entrepreneurship and the like this is where we the show have to pay our rent so we'll do that in a moment (laughs) but (laughs) i just want to emphasize the point that you're making and that is that these women have taken over moved ahead and changed a nation that's right isn't it
2: it's absolutely right, and they've done it in a very feminine way, I might say. They haven't done it with an army. They haven't done it with violence. They haven't even done it with much um, social upheaval because men have come back into this society from Uganda, Congo, and other neighboring areas where, where some were lucky to have fled, um, and they have had to alter their culture uh and social norms to accept this female leadership and the women have done it in such a way that that is possible and I, I think it's remarkable
1: Yep, right, now so let's go to the break now okay. and we're going to come back, come back to all these things um, This is Dr. Gordon Adley and my guest is Nancy Kildom, you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, please stay with us we will be back
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray with his co-host Linda Crater as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern
4: Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time.
0: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Nancy Coldham. Our topic is words of women in their languages about overcoming barriers. Now, now let's talk about the challenges and barriers that in your project you found were experienced by women in the role of family caregivers caring for their family's health, well-being and quality of life. So, first question. What are the challenges and barriers experienced by Rwandan women when they are striving to care for the health of their families and family members. And I'm really asking you about to talk about the situation you found in your research. Nancy?
2: Okay, Gordon, thanks. Um, I, I, I guess that my only caution is that I want to make sure that our listeners understand that I'm, you know you, I can't speak for all Rwandan women, but I have been really fortunate in being able to experience Rwanda through the research, and also through what I consider the real gift of friendship that emerged with many of the research participants, who who were gracious enough to welcome me into their lives and refer to me as sister. So, I'm I'm going to give you my observations, and as you said, many of them are based on the truths that emerged from the the research. So. I guess for, for most people, it's important to understand the construct because Rwanda, unlike us, we here in North America, we're individuals, and, uh, but in Rwanda, they're a collective society. And it's, it's more about we than me, and it's really a remarkable expression that permeates, therefore, their relationships and ways they approach this whole area of, of caregiving. And, and, and rebuilding a society. So I guess some of that may be rooted in the fact that, you know, there was once a tribal culture, but this is a very modern society now. And I think much of what I witnessed and, and what they shared with me as experiences have to be acknowledged as emerging from just the mere survival of g- genocide. So, Gordon, when you ask about the, the barriers and the challenges these Rwanda women face. It's, it, you have to put initially the the initial challenge is actually creating a family, rebuilding the semblance of a family unit. And I've heard from many of the, of the, of the women in the, in the research group that they lost mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, siblings, and many actually took on orphans may have been their neighbors' children who were abandoned. And others themselves emerged from this tragedy, orphaned themselves. So the first call to action that I, I hear them tell me about is actually having to make a conscious decision to put the horror behind them and to reach out and reconstitute a unit that we know as a family. And and they're not necessarily mother, father, son, daughter, right, because there may not have been a father or a husband around. And so the initial priority and the initial challenge and barrier was just the mere ability to feed yourself, clothe yourself, to have a roof over your head. You had to find a way to earn income. And um, I think that reality, that that challenge and barrier, was sort of survival beyond their comprehension. Um, And to to now visit a very beautiful, peaceful Rwanda mere 19, 20 years later after such atrocities speaks to this tenacity and courage. So the the first things were just basic necessities of, of those elements that we take for granted, and much of it, of course, was aided by the uh, Rwandan government. The, the government of uh, Kagame has received some criticism of, of recent, you know, you may have read it in the, in the articles of, of some of the journals around the world, but I have to say, having been there and having researched this, mm, I think Kagame has pulled off a miracle and um, created, created, um, again, a sense of a benevolent government as well that could not f- afford to fund all the solutions, as often is the case at least here in Canada and some but more social-leaning governments, but they actually had to work to just empower people to mentor each other and find the wherewithal to create, create solutions. So I don't right. know if, if that answers your question.
1: Yes, it does, and it leads into the next one. I'm going to ask you about Rwandan women and the challenges and barriers they experienced when they were striving to care for the well-being and quality of life of their families. And I'm going to link that by saying, and you may or may not agree with this, that well-being and quality of life are to do with income, with money, with being able to support the family and themselves financially. And that's where I make the link with entrepreneurs. So let's talk about challenges and barriers and also say whether you think that the link I've made with entrepreneuring is actually relevant to the situation you're describing.
2: Absolutely. And and there we couldn't be in more agreement. The, The thing I think that the research shows and I think will continue to demonstrate, I believe that world aid is going to shift into supporting women entrepreneurship entrepreneurship in general but in particular women entrepreneurship for all the reasons we've discussed because with one fell swoop you're dealing with the economy you're dealing with society you're dealing with peace and all these other opportunities and again the, the women are well positioned to do that so yes the challenges and barriers um, also have, have to be rooted in the sense and yes, of being able to, to have income, but also to have dignity. And I think that is another remarkable attribute of these women, that they have picked a nation up from the horror of genocide and brushed it off and turned, helped turn it into a very gracious society. I'm not saying it doesn't have its problems, but there can be no doubt that the women... And hold their heads high. That they that they they drive cars. They own their homes. They have built businesses. They hire and fire. They've they've got their children going to school. And and always with this collective sense of of who else needs a hand up. And that was the other thing that really was strongly imprinted upon me was this. Collectivity, even in the entrepreneurship training, the American model was saying, okay, so how much profit did you make? And did you reinvest that profit in your bottom line and what are you going to do with it? And their response was the bottom line for them is the social well-being of the collective. So not just their immediate family, but their community. And, and, and so if my business did well... I would, and I knew yours was struggling, I would say to you, my sister, here, let me give you a hand up. Here, This might help you with some seed capital, or you may need this to do some more marketing, or that kind of thing. And, of course, it rather unheard of in terms of how we would measure success, but for them, that was very normal and, and very... Um, culturally correct in terms of advancing everyone. And I think that, too, is is something, and here we are not, you know, in the shadow of of the death of Nelson Mandela, which will go on for years, recognizing what he said. He said, um, you know, Africa has arisen from apartheid again on the shoulders of its women, because again, it was a society that the, the men had gone missing or or we're incarcerated or whatever, that it's, it's, you give a woman $100 and she shares it with her community, she just doesn't put it in a suitcase and hightail it out of town. And I think that's what I witnessed and what the research proved as well, that the barriers and challenges are overcome through more, what I call, Gordon, social enterprise and not just enterprise for the sense of profit. Right.
1: Now, Nancy, you also work and research and are a consultant and have a practice, consulting practice in Canada and therefore North America. So I'm going to ask you to identify for us just quickly the most challenging of the challenges and barriers experienced by North American women in caring for, who are involved in caring for their family's health, well-being and quality of life. And perhaps if you want to use Ontario as an example, just quickly. So what are those challenges?
2: Well, you know, Gordon, I think when it comes to North America, um, whether it's Ontario or or uh, California or, you know, Detroit or anywhere, it's a similar problem that we're facing, and that is despite the fact that women here have been, you know, earning their own keep for a long time, most women are the primary caregiver, care organizer, and their families, and the, the barriers are, the, are, are, again, down to dollars and cents, being able to afford quality um, daycare, um, and now, as a demographic shift, being able to find appropriate, loving, and affordable uh, care for, uh, you know, elderly parents. So, when it comes to your family's health, we're lucky here in Ontario and in Canada to have... Um, you know, a fairly robust uh, Medicare system. But there are still gaps in that, as you well know. And, and so, you know, what do we do? And, and as an entrepreneur, one of the first things I did was make sure that I could offer myself and, and most importantly, my employees extended health benefits so that, you know, they would have extra, extra uh, coverage for things that aren't normally under Medicare and also extra time off that was paid for disability or for family care needs, but the the well-being piece of it is what you said earlier. I mean, you, you can't be distracted uh, from from the big task of being a breadwinner when you you've got these extra concerns. And money's always the the biggest barrier because not everybody um, can afford the extra benefits, and also they don't know where to go to get the kind of care that is important you know here you have to get on a waiting list to get a parent into a an a uh, into a retirement home or a seniors home you have to be on a waiting list to qualify for you know home care and um I know myself I'm way past the the time of having nannies or live in care for children but um you know watching Two parents go through this process, and helping my mom, in particular, in the last three years, um, die, um, was heartbreaking because that's the first time you realize where the gaps are. And um, so, I guess the the big thing is knowing where the resources are and having the wherewithal to be able to afford to provide that well-being for those who have loved you over your lifetime. Uh,
1: continuing. Obligation that in some ways parallels the sense of the, as I understand it, the Rwandan women who you worked with so, so effectively uh, in the sense of doing an effective piece of research that revealed important things now it is time where we have to take the break so we'll do that now this is Dr. Gordon Adler and my guest is Nancy Keldum, you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio please stay with us, we will be back
3: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven. Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life Goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to
1: Family Caregivers Unite and Nancy Keldam. Our topic is words of women in their languages about overcoming barriers. Nancy, now let's talk about the ways in women overcome and need help in overcoming the challenges and barriers. And I'm particularly interested in what you found in your research um, were what I'm going to call the workarounds that these, these women used and relied on to do what they did do so successfully when they were in the role of family caregivers, caring not only for their family's health, but also for their well-being and quality of life and for the revenues for the family and maybe the community as well. So first question then is, what are the ways in which Rwandan women overcome And can be helped in overcoming the challenges and barriers they may experience when they're striving to care for the health of their families and family members Nancy?
2: There's such big questions Um, you know, this is one of the things when you're walking the streets of Kigali, which is the capital city of Rwanda, or you're sitting in one of the women's Cafes and watching the people go by, and, and really observing society in action. There, the the challenges and barriers are systemic, as they always are, in terms of access, access to capital, access to assets. A lot of the women um, fought for, and and some of those, I mean, it's still ongoing. But the the right to title. For land, one of the things that happened as a result of the genocide was a lot of poaching and squatting, and you know, a lot of docu- documentation in terms of ownership of land went missing. So there was all that that had to be dealt with, and a lot of people, a lot of the women would say, um, you know, they couldn't get a bank loan, so. But where do you, where do you get an angel investor in that kind of an economy that, that's not easy and so that's where the sisterhood comes in and that's where as somebody succeeds they see the next one coming along and and these are not necessarily people who are family they're friends and that's where you go back to the collectivity of this culture and the and the strength of this sisterhood that is just breathtaking and wonderful to witness um, the The issue of access to capital, of course, becomes more important too when you see that in, in countries like Rwanda, a lot of people don't have bank accounts. They earn their money, they keep their money. It's not institutionalized because, of course, in a lifetime, they've witnessed banks and an economy collapse, so there's not that kind of, of, of uh, faith in the system. But also, they're only now uh, uh, working with the mechanisms of such as putting together the, um, the ability to, to get a, an operating line. Um, many people there uh, wouldn't have a credit card. Uh, and you, you can see the, the, the company is trying to get in now and, and encourage people to have credit. So um, I think systemically the, the challenges go back to um, the ability to you know, have the financial wherewithal to start and to to build and sustain a, a company that gives them that ability to have long-term income and sustainability for their for their family.
1: Right now, I'm going to ask you a similar question about challenges and barriers, but I'm going to refer the question to well-being and quality of life of the families, yeah. and I'm relating well-being and quality of life really to the financial situation of a family i mean i know there are other things as well but nevertheless lacking money is not good for well-being or quality of life in a general kind of way so what are the challenges and barriers that rwandan women experienced and now experience when they're striving for something that we call the well-being and quality of life of their families nancy
2: Um, Again, Gordon, I think uh, what I learned from the Rwandan experience is that um, it is true in emerging countries. And to be honest, when I started my business in the uh, early 80s, one of the first things the bank asked me was if there was a male to co-sign. So although it looks pretty shocking in 2013, 2014... uh, We can't protest too much. Uh, You know, uh, (laughs) a lot of these things um, are, again, cultural. And so why it becomes a bigger barrier is if the men have uh, been killed and if the family holdings were held in the father's uh, name, then the, the first thing you have to do is reclaim the asset, the land, the house, the buildings, whatever. Uh, much of this was done, again, with the assistance of the government. They had put together um, um, bodies to, to help people do this, uh, you know, a uh, quasi-judicial um, entities. Uh, they had an acronym for, called FARC for them, and, and they helped them. But then again, to, to make money... Everybody needs a bit of money to start, so where do they get it? So it takes a long time to go from startup to actually what we consider engagement as an entrepreneur. So that whole initial phase of making enough and saving enough or getting family um, and sisters to help you build this nesting that you can go from really concept to business is a much bigger step than it would be for us or anywhere else give you an example one of the women teta has a, a terrific business um and what she's done again is to reach out into the rural areas to help women who are let more disadvantaged than the city gals and she has taught them um how to ensure quality of color in the dye lots for the uh jewelry and the bags and um and other quilts and things that she has them making for her her store. Now, for her to have done that took an enormous amount of time and energy and investment of those believers in her. But then again, if she sells, if somebody says, okay, uh, we want to put you into the Thousand Village chain, she has to be able to guarantee inventory. Just that concept of inventory, that represents quality control, that represents... Um, also a capacity, a financial capacity to have um, purchased it and have it ready to sell um, into a a chain of that sort that can be almost insurmountable for some. So those are real barriers and um, all throughout that entire process, as as you said, you still have to be keeping a roof over your head, feeding your family, feeding yourself, and, and maintain a modicum of of sustainability and, and comfort.
1: Right. Now, I want you to ask you again now the question about North American women and overcoming and being helped to overcome the challenges and barriers they face and they experience. As
2: business
1: owners? Uh, yes. Uh, well, starting from two point perspectives and converging them one is business owners, but the other is the family's health well-being and quality of life and i'm just going to very quickly give you an example okay. guest on my show is the is the um... has a family member with one of the mental health challenges of children and she realized that this child was very good at using computers and she set up a system whereby Her child, or the child in her family, could use computers to communicate with other children, but she also recognized that they were at risk of being exploited on the internet. So she set up a system to protect them. And she was, in other words, a family caregiver and a businesswoman at the same time in what is really a very competitive world. What can you read across from Rwanda to North America for women of the kind that I'm thinking of, who get down to it and do things. Nancy?
2: Wow. You know, when you when you frame it this way and you see, as you're saying, Gordon, the number of challenges people face day in and day out, particularly when you have that extra burden of either an elderly or an infirm member, but as you say, um, the extra burden of someone who has a mental challenge. Mental illness um, is even greater in countries like Rwanda because, again, they don't always have our resources. And this is where I think this expression of that I talked about earlier about a society that looks more at we than me there's a there's a forgiveness and a just an acceptance among the Rwandans that I personally experienced. Uh, And I'll give you an example. Um, The the key gatekeeper to the research was a wonderful woman named Hope Mumbazi and her her, uh, husband took me one day to their community council meeting and the last Sunday of every month the entire community gets together and cleans up the streets the uh, uh, ditches uh, anything that needs repair they do this as a community because, of course, it's not the government infrastructure to, to do such a thing. But what's good about it is when they come out, they see who's ill, who's not doing well. And he and I both noticed um, a, a child of, of one of his neighbors who seemed to be doing particularly poorly. And I asked him about the young girl, and he said, obviously, they don't have enough food. The girl looked like she had rickets. She was in a really bad way. And you could see the parents... We're doing the best they could. Um, another neighbor had a child who obviously um, was uh, intellectually um, handicapped. And again, no stigma in either case. Instead, what he did is he said, just remind me when I get back, I'm going to call. We have a number, and they'll be visited, and someone can bring extra food and maybe find someone who can help. The child with whatever it was—the deficit that needed immediate attention—I was just in awe of again that sense of community and the acknowledgement that that for most people trying to to advance themselves uh, in difficult times, particularly you know, in any economic difficulty. And by the way, the 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 decline in the us economy hurts them badly too aid has been withdrawn and they just don't have the same ability to uh, to trade with other nations when when america's not doing well so the chinese are knocking at their door now but that's a whole other area the the big thing to answer your question is they they benefit from each other. They benefit from the fact that there still is a sense of caring. Now, when it comes to elder care, a lot of the um, volunteer sector that deals with uh, this extra care will tell you whether it's the Catholic Relief Services of Rwanda or um, Vision Rwanda and all these other groups is that they're not getting that same volunteer group and this I think it's the early signs of people advancing and and having to just start to take care of themselves more than, than each other. And I think that's where we're going to start to see a shift because right now, if you can believe it, they have an army of volunteers that have been helping with their elders, have been helping with the orphans, have been helping with mothers who need uh, daycare and that, and rather than instant doing it institutionally, they do it through neighbors, they do it through family, and they do it through, I, I, I watched the kids go to a daycare um, at a local church that was seemed to be very well-run, immaculate, and, and good care, and, and all that kind of stuff. So the long, rambly answer is, I think, as, a, as what their solution has been is to self-identify issues. To reach out as good neighbors, to reach out as as um, as compassionate uh, members of a community to help each other with those extra efforts, and um, as that deteriorates because government does start to intervene, I saw uh, there were ads appearing for nanny services, and um, they're bringing in uh, people from Philippines and India and that as as. A caregivers now, so paid for. Now I can tell you, you can get um, somebody from the Philippines. Um, they even had somebody who had um, ad- advertised from New Jersey. So I don't know, but they were willing to live in or live out for as little as a hundred to three hundred dollars a year. And the more that starts to happen, as you know, what'll happen? People will stop, you know, volunteering and just let people handle it themselves
1: right. financially right now we're going to do the break now and we're going to come back to another broad question which is really what makes what remains to be done but I guess what I'm taking from you is that sense of where the community should now be what the basis of the community should now be in North America yeah. for handling, handling the kind of things that um, need to be handled in our society yeah. but anyway let, let's go to the break well, this is Dr. Dr. Gordon Adderley and my guest is Nancy Kildom You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio Please stay with us, we will be back
4: whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station, voiceamerica.com. You are
0: listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Nancy Coldham. Our topic is Words of Women in Their Languages About Overcoming Barriers. Now, Nancy, I'd like you to talk about the things you would like to see done to advance help for women in overcoming challenges and barriers and also um, to talk about things that others and other systems should do. So, now let's go to the very first question. What more would you like to see done by healthcare systems?
2: Well, Gordon, that's certainly a big question in, in both sides of the North American border, not to mention globally, um, particularly with our, our sort of gray tsunami that's about to pounce upon us all as the demographics demonstrate. But I think there's something that we in North America in particular could learn from some of these emerging cultures and countries. And, and that, I hope we learn it before we strip them of of the gift of this sense of community. And that's what we were talking about not just a just a few moments ago. You know, I remember as a child that when my parents moved us into this beautiful new subdivision, the the parents had gone to the developer and said the kids need parks. And he said, okay, I'm prepared to give these three areas. And it was the parents that raised the money. My father is a survey engineer. He surveyed the park and they, he did the layout. And that money that was raised built um, a beautiful, uh, three beautiful parks. And guess what? There was no vandalism. There was no crime in the park because the community owned it. And that's one of the things I saw. In Rwanda, the health care system is about, you know, prevention. It is about being well. And part about being well is feeling safe and being fed and knowing you're cared for and knowing you fit. And that also talks a bit about this issue of what we do with people who don't, quote, fit. And I think we could learn from that. In terms of what I myself would like to see championed is that we take away this these silos in healthcare and this institutional machinery, and we reconnect it by turning it upside down and letting the system be viewed and perhaps driven by the consumer's need. And, and if we could begin to do that, and surely by now the technology permits it, I think we'd have a more efficient and a less expensive healthcare model that met the needs in real time. And, and that's a big gap.
1: Right. Same question. What more would you like to see done by social systems? Nancy?
2: Again, I would turn to the, the experience um, that the research taught me in Rwanda. And I think our social system is broken. The same way we scream about the need for infrastructure, I think we need to look at our social infrastructure and revisit it first through uh, perhaps even something like a contract. Uh, uh, you know, just a something that we could all agree to and and rebuild the social system through a true social contract where we we know. Um, and research has taught us, and the, certain the statistics around crime tell us that the disenfranchised don't have anything to lose. And so if you want a strong social system, you're as strong as those weak links. And that, to me, gets back to linking education to our social system, the same way we link, you know, the financial sector to our to our economic infrastructure, we have to make sure that people get the get a good education and therefore have more possibilities. Because those who don't have a job and who can't get a job, and you know what what is there, that's when your social systems begin to break down.
1: Right now, what final question, the key one: What more would you personally like to do, Nancy?
2: You know, Gordon, the one thing that the the master's degree permitted was it it gave me an education in terms of, of how much there is for we lucky North Americans to do. We live with such excess that it's breathtaking. And what I'd like to do is actually help give a voice to the women. I love this idea of community building through Internet radio. I think what you're doing is a gift. Um, I am in the process of establishing a social foundation uh, and to raise money to help fund the dreams of the Rwandan women entrepreneurs. Um, and I guess lastly, to, um, to be able to continue to make a difference by listening and um, providing a voice and using my own skills as a story collector and storyteller to be sure we're all alert and aware to how much more We should
1: do as global citizens. Taking the word or the phrase global citizens and turning it back, that means that we have things to learn in North America. You've already said that. Um, We also have to look back at our history because in North America, there was in the early days a good deal of community because there was not much else. There wasn't a big system. And therefore... Um, all the the things that the Rwandan women have done really represent a pattern of development. And all of us, they and us, now need to be understanding the next step. And you've said it, thank you very much. But I think that internet radio gives the chance of those voices to get out, to be heard, for the arguments to be made and where human language isn't a barrier in the sense that we can broadcast in any language as long as the host can cope with the particular language, which means that we can start training people in countries like Rwanda for their own broadcasting system. Now, obviously, I'm biased in the way I look at these things, but I think there's a broader principle there, which is learning from each other and applying things that we know work, but modernizing them in such a way that they work in our complex technological and sometimes overly bureaucratic and uncaring society now on that particular point which sounds a little bit negative I want to thank you very much first of all for having done that research because I think what you've been saying is news to the vast majority of us who are listening to you Um, I want to thank you for sharing us with us your experience and your insights and also your advice and i want to say all success to you in your work because it's important i want to say thank you to our listeners we'd like to hear your comments on this episode and from our listeners i'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show our next episode will be kitchen safety and family caregivers please join us same time same spot on the internet talk to you then